and welcome to Sean White's Solar and Energy Storage Podcast. You can find out more about Sean White at his links page at solarshawn.com. We are going to talk today to Paul Finn, who is the inventor of something called Community Choice Aggregation, CCA. And we are at his farm in, um, and we're in Massachusetts, and his wife, Julia Peters, is here too. And she might even pitch in a little bit as she's walking past the microphone. So, um, so yeah, thanks for agreeing to talk to me about this. And also another thing I just wanted to say too is Paul and Julia are the people that I call her Julie. What do you want me to call you? No, <laughs> they first got me into solar pretty much. I mean, I was I was like hanging out with Paul, and we were going to different political meetings, and he was living at Jerry Brown's house in Oakland, and we were going to like board of supervisors meetings, and Paul was I remember he was holding his son George, yelling at county supervisors and things like that, and and then we we were campaigning against. Um, PG&E, or they, or they were actually campaigning against community choice aggregation, and they spent like lots of money. But anyway, uh, let me just kind of introduce Paul. Hey, Paul. <clears throat> hey, Sean. It's great to be on your show. <laughs> yeah. Can you give me just like a quick summary of what community choice aggregation is? I know that like we talk about CCAs and they're kind of taking over and everything, but just like a quick definition of a CCA. <clears throat> yeah, CCA, community choice aggregation, is... Really, I like to often explain it as a a wireless energy utility. I mean, even you get your wireless phone, you're using a uh, an independent network of of towers and and substations that do connect into the the old phone system. They use the old fiber lines and the old uh, transmission lines, but they're a freestanding, higher tech structure that's better than the old network. And really, a CCA is a similar principle. You know, the, the, the wireless networks were built on federal licensing of cities and rural areas, and federal, those were first with lotteries and then with auctions. Uh, this is locally based, so instead of federally based, it's based on municipal governments deciding as communities that they want to combine their buying power, and that's combining the, 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 the residents, the businesses, uh, in some cases also the large commercial and large industrial businesses, in, uh, in conjunction with municipal loads, municipal properties, street lights, etc., into one buying group, going out to the the market to find a better deal. That's sort of number one. Uh, to get to find greener power from the grid, that's number two, because many communities are doing it because they want to reduce their pollution. But number three, to uh, build local, and that is not just to, to build solar panels in the community, uh, whether community solar or a local solar plus storage or sort of a facilities basis, uh, or to help uh, the end user become an owner of on-site renewable energy. And so that's where they get really much more involved and help uh, residential customers and business customers get fi obtain financing, help them plan the facilities, and help them bring the, the private sector entities in to deliver those projects and services. Yeah, so like, how's it how's it set up? Like, like I know like there'll be a, a, an election, or is it like a board of supervisors agrees to do it, or like, like let's say that there's a what is it, a city or a county or some sort of municipal entity, and they want to do a, a CCA. Yeah. So um, how do they do it? Like, it's really fundamentally a local municipal process. So. Mm -hmm. 
uh, at, at, at the basic kind of trigger is that a t town council or a city council says we want to do this. They adopt an ordinance, uh, which is a majority vote of the council, uh, and you know, with or without the mayor's support, unless the mayor vetoes, it's adopted as an ordinance like any regular local law would be adopted. Some states, because there are now, I guess there are nine states that have CCA uh, laws in effect. Um, so there's a couple states that do require a referendum, a public referendum. Uh, but most of them just go with the town council ordinance. Um, and so you have, a, you have a sort of a political dimension to it, which is the community needs to want it. And usually the CCAs are driven by local members of the community, local activists who bring it to their town councils and then sort of drive the process from there. Like, I, I remember like years ago when I, when we were hanging out and I mean, it was like over 10 years ago mm -hmm. and we lived in the same duplex up in Canyon, up California. Up at your ranch, yeah. yeah. And um, there, I remember there was like some assembly bill and it was like Migden or something like that. Yeah. And, and so does the state have to approve of it first before the municipalities can do it? Is that That's right. Yeah, mm -hmm. first the the enabling action is through the state legislature. So mm -hmm. that was uh, Assembly Bill 117 by Carol Migdon, who was the San Francisco Marin. Uh, well, then she was a San Francisco Assembly member, and she later became the senator for Marin in San Francisco. So she led the charge to get that law passed, uh, and I had been I drafted the bill and got her signed on as a sponsor. Um, but every the other states are are uh, let's see now you got California you got Massachusetts you got New York, New Jersey, uh, New Hampshire, Ohio, Illinois, Virginia. I think that's it. There's one more I can't remember. So all those states have adopted so-called CCA laws authorizing municipalities to do this and creating a state local protocol or process that they have to go through where the states certify their plans and make sure that they're not messing anything up or doing anything wrong under state policy. So it's not just a disengagement from state regulators. It actually still involves state regulators, but not as regulators, just as sort of certifiers, you know, consultants in a way, a consultative kind of a relationship. So, so I remember, I think your law was first passed here in Massachusetts, correct? And yeah. what year was that? That was, uh, uh, it was adopted in 97, 1997. 1997, and then your law was, when was it passed when in California? When we, is that the second state? Uh, that was the third state. So the second state was Ohio, and the third state was California. So Ohio was 99, California was uh, 2002, because it was right in the middle of the energy crisis, so the, and, and then... Uh, the California bill was what we call the, the version two model of the bill. So there's also an evolution of the model. And uh, so in California, partly because of the energy crisis, partly because we were ourselves learning from um, the first CCAs that formed here in Massachusetts and in Ohio, that they needed more, not just the power to, to buy power from the grid, but more power to actually develop local resources. And so California was really kind of intended to be that way. And then uh, more recently, we moved on to version three of CCA. So version one was based on cheaper power, greener power from the grid. Version two, California was based on uh, building local renewables. And so far, California, uh, as of this year, 
the CCAs there uh, have already committed three gigawatts of new re in-state renewables, which is a hell of a lot. Mm -hmm. And um, but version three, which we're working on now here in New York and in, uh, in Massachusetts, New England generally, is um, is focused on the shift that strategic shift from from essentially generation to demand reduction, right? And this is very much in line with the the uh, climate. Uh, change-related greenhouse gas reduction targets that are being put forward now by the United Nations and other parties, where there needs to be a more rapid transition to renewables, right? So in the 90s and maybe the first decade of this century, the focus of renewable policy was to stimulate solar markets, stimulate renewable energy markets. Uh, and those are your net metering and your feed-in tariffs and your renewable energy credit type policies. But now we've reached this sort of, in a way, new threshold in which there needs to be a, a, a dramatic kind of up, ramping up of the scale of, of and, and pace of transition. So this is really 3.0 is about a much more rapid decarbonization process. And that instead of involving just the, the development of new grid-connected renewables, you know, large centralized solar, large centralized wind, it's focused much more on rooftop. On, on getting develop, much more pervasive development in dense urban areas, multi-use areas, and that kind of thing, and focusing on reducing demand uh, from the grid at a community level from the bottom up rather than adding it on to the grid and, and sourcing it all through the grid, which has inherent limitations for carbon reduction, namely that they're intermittent resources and they require balancing resources from mostly fossil generation. And so these bottom-up resources can be deployed uh, without any backup, and the use of storage and load automation can facilitate that. Okay, Paul, I got another question. Like, what if somebody is in a place where, like, they want to go talk to their city council, and the city council people don't know the difference between power and energy? I mean, they're not very smart about that kind of thing. They were just popular and got elected. How would you explain to them? what it is they need to do and what a CCA is just for to somebody that just, you know, energy illiterate. Yeah, and virtually all the, it's a good question because this is the general condition of municipalities in the United States. And among all the CCAs in the, uh, in the states that have the law, which is about 1,500 cities, those all formed uh, pretty much in communities that initially did not know much about energy. Now, everybody pays a utility bill, right? That's the one thing we do know about energy is the bill we pay. And that's a universal knowledge. Everyone has and to And most pay. people don't even know what they're paying for. It's like kilowatts, kilowatt hours. Yeah, yeah. You get the, the bill contains all these acronyms and all these special regulatory terms that you cannot possibly penetrate. Uh, unless you call call them up and ask them yeah. to explain everything to I mean, you. Yeah, it's actually amazing how many people selling solar don't even know what it means. You know, it's like if the professionals don't know what it means, it's, like, <laughs> it's probably put together that way on purpose. <laughs> Absolutely right. And, and the, the sort of opaque nature huh. of electricity economics is a part of how utilities have kept their monopolies, huh. uh, that it seems so unapproachable. It seems so complicated, you know, huh. uh, which is a classic way of, huh. of, of holding on, keeping a customer captive, huh. that they're afraid to leave your care. And so there's always this kind of infantile or child, childish fear 
of doing anything in energy because it seems so complicated and dangerous, right? Uh-huh. Um, and so part of the process is, is really learning how really simple it is. And, and so uh, part of the simplicity comes from the fact that half of the states and most of the large markets deregulated their industries you know, over 20 years ago. And when they deregulated, they took away the monopoly rights of the utilities and opened up their statewide markets to, uh, to competitive suppliers. So some of those suppliers are owners of, of power plants or, or, or wind turbine uh, facilities or solar facilities. Others are, those are called wholesalers. And others are uh, retailers. And those are the company, the middlemen who put up the, the, the uh, money to buy and sell energy from the wholesalers. So they sort of cover the, the um, credit and down payment requirements for buying and selling power and for fixing prices into the future. And um, taking power from a power plant, which is fluctuating physical thing to a product, which is a combination of power plants that are coordinated on the grid to work it together to provide you with all the power you need all day, all night, based on how much you usually use. And so the, the market has simplified the ability to choose energy by deregulating. And CCA just creates, community choice aggregation, creates a mechanism for communities to participate in that market, whereas otherwise it's just the large businesses that are participating, so that are getting benefits from it, like the you know, jack-in-the-box chain or the, you know, the football stadium or you know, big uh, government, you know, groups of government buildings and that kind of thing. So that's mostly left the small customers out. So the first hook for your local town council members to say, look, we're not getting any benefits from this. We want to get some benefits. And that's the, the basic level is we can get a better deal if we combine together as a community. We'll get cheaper energy. And so just like Jack in the Box, <laughs> just like the big boys. And so CCAs have consistently uh, uh, gotten better deals than Jack in the Box, right? Because you get... If, even if you get 100,000 people, that's a lot of people, and that's a small city, a big town. Even yeah. towns of five, seven, ten thousand 10,000 people have gotten better deals as CCA. So you don't have to be a big city. Uh, all right, so that's the first easy layer with the, with the local city council member is we can get a better deal with this. Uh, but in some ways, given the times we're in with climate change, the, the next point, but really not the, the lesser point, is that we can decarbonize our energy supply and, and we can do it much more quickly and dramatically in the kind of way that the United Nations is saying we really need to in the next uh, decade in order to, to avoid this acceleration of climate change that's happening, the rising oceans and so on. Uh, so to set examples in particular, not just to reduce carbon for ourselves, but to show the way for others to do so, right? To create examples, leadership, political leadership, lead on climate change, climate mobilization, climate emergency. Now you have hundreds of cities around the United States have declared climate emergency since the United Nations made that announcement in March 2019. So a lot of what we're doing with those communities is the, the people, members of communities just say, go to your council and say, we have a path for you to mobilize, you don't have to wait for the Green New Deal in Washington or wait for Bernie Sanders to be elected or AOC to lead the Congress to take over from Pelosi. That might happen in the next 10 years, probably not in the next five. And it takes t- 
time to build climate solutions. We have to start now. And so this is a way of starting now for, for local communities that are that have are clear in terms of their objectives that they want to act on climate. This, uh, again, it's a second point to your typical town council members who are, who are not so aware of climate change or their mm -hmm. responsibility to act on it. But in some ways, the much more profound, important, impactful, significant point is the second point, that we actually have a way to, to act right now, to mobilize climate mobilization right now. And, and, it, and like as far as like how much it costs or like it, it costs less, right? I mean, regardless of climate change or not, it's like doing this. It's it, there's you're saving money, right? Is that, That's the thing. Uh, When's the last time you got to save the world and save money doing it? Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, right. It's the, the the National Green New Deal will raise taxes to pay for all this stuff. And that's part of the reason a lot of people don't like it. They don't want to have to pay for this. Well, under our uh, uh, regime with community choice aggregation, there is no need to pay a premium. And this may be hard to believe, but well, it so, is... Solar is cheap. Yeah. Solar is very cheap. And so, in a sense, it's a kind of... Uh, the, the economics of energy, I'm sure you would appreciate this, based on your work in solar... Uh, are very distorted by the utilities position in the middle of the supply chain and a protected position which is what they call regulated but but essentially is protected financially protected and so they're always adding all these costs onto uh, renewable resources when they come through particularly solar particularly intermittent resources that the customer owns they, they put caps on the interconnect uh, uh, for net energy metering or for fee-in tariffs or virtual net metering any kind of tariff that is needed from them, they cap and limit and restrict. Um, they place charges uh, on uh, customers in some states that have solar. They have sometimes monthly minimum bills and all these triggers and mechanisms to sort of harm, economically harm solar, to limit how much people are doing it uh, because they regard it as a threat to them. But CCA, one of its great uh, uh, opportunities is that it essentially it gets out of the utility sandbox in terms of resource planning. So the utility is no longer buying the power for the community. Uh, it's out of the power piece completely. And now it's, it is, uh, that is all being supplied by competitive suppliers through a competitive, local competitive bidding process. Uh, and so as a result of that, there's a lot more control over how the procurement is planned. In other words, things like load reform can be accomplished, right? So part when you buy energy, part of the cost of the energy, it's all a regulatory formula, what you're paying, that end, you know, 12 cents a kilowatt hour, 15 cents, whatever it is, depending on the utility you're in, doesn't just reflect, you know, like buying gasoline where you buy a certain volume of, 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 uh, of fuel and you pay a certain price for the volume. It's a formula that combines the volume, which is kilowatt hours, how many hours of how much energy you require, with uh, the maximum requirement that you ever require. So you have a winter peak day where you have the most use of electricity when it's cold, and you have a summer peak day when the most electricity is used when it's hot, and that sets your rate for everything you buy. And so that formula can be reformed. In other words, if an aggregation, if a community says, we're going to look at our peak, our collective peak, which will be defined by daytime commercial demand, right? Uh, in, the, in the summer afternoons, and uh, for example, and um, they, can, they can essentially focus the, the on-site solar 
and other on-site renewables, storage, microgrids, etc. On the accounts in the community that are driving those peaks up to get rid of them. And if they get rid of them, everyone in the whole community will save energy on their cost, uh, on their monthly bill. The per unit cost drops. That's called the so-called capacity charge or capacity tag. And it's essentially an extra fee or it's a, it's a fee that determines the price. Or it's probably, it's, it's not a fee. It's a, I guess you'd say it's a metric that determines mm-hmm. the price of all energy. So that's so-called load shaving, load reform, um, it, which is an important part of the, the opportunity aggregation. But also by, by bringing the, the resources behind the meter in people's homes and on their businesses and in their basements and so on, that um, the amount of, uh, of re- spinning reserves, which are power plants that are idling on the grid, that you're rarely using, but they're serving those peaks whenever you're, so you have your normal level of load for a whole city uh, demand on the grid. And, and those plants are your base load and they're going all the time. And then you have peak load, which is just going now and then, and then you have spinning reserves. And those are just idling and waiting, almost never getting used, but they're there to make sure that you're, you have enough resource on the grid that you don't strain the grid or cause brownouts. I know they talk about energy storage, you know, doing what spinning reserves do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, and energy storage that's close to the load needs less and less and less spinning reserves. The more that your resources are centralized on the grid, even if it's a large battery, the more you need supplemental spinning mm-hmm. reserves to support their limitations, right? So going bottom up instead of top down is really the difference in terms mm-hmm. of the way that the resources are developed. You know, putting solar in the dense urban areas, multi-use buildings, multi-family buildings, areas where you have, you know, hospitals with a residential neighbor around it, neighborhood around it, or, you know, uh, a mall surrounded by a residential neighborhood. These combinations of where you have people, you have large energy use that's intermittent, surrounded by people whose energy use is intermittent, but on a different schedule. So that what you could call a complementary load. You have a lot of businesses use a lot of energy and, and during the weekdays in the afternoons, a lot of residential customers are not at home during those hours, but they use a lot of energy early in the morning and from when they get home from 7 to 10 p.m. And they're at home on weekends when a lot of the businesses are closed. So that's complementarity. You have the two of them balance the load so that on the during the weekdays, the on-site renewables are powering the businesses. And on the nights, mornings, and weekends, they're powering the homes. And so it's it's really an opportunity to 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 geospatially develop resources to serve concentrations of people that have diverse mm-hmm. energy use patterns, to uh, and to use the ability to plan that, which municipalities really specialize in, right? Planning mm-hmm. um, to um, reduce the amount of need that that community has on the grid, bringing power in from the outside, and then all the carbon attached to that grid power. Mm-hmm. So, Paul, I was also thinking that. Um, with with the CCA, typically what happens is it's an opt-in thing. So like when when a CCA comes to your neighborhood or your municipality, it's like you're automatically enrolled. Is from from what I remember from when we were hanging out. It was actually it was over a decade ago, and that's probably usually how it is. I'm not sure. Like I guess a different state could adopt it differently or something. And and then you you're op, you opt in, 
But then some people will opt out because they like a monopoly because it makes them feel comfortable. They're used to it. <laughs> and, yeah. And maybe it reminds them of their childhood when they were playing Monopoly. You know? <laughs> <laughs> they like the little man with the hat. Yeah, yeah. Cute little monopoly. It was a fun game. Right? Yeah. <laughs> You're rolling dice and everything. And, <clears throat> and so you can opt in, you can opt out. And then, uh, and then there's different, there's so many different <clears throat> programs and utilities and you're, you know, in different places and different CCAs. And some of them I've heard have benefits for energy storage and some of them don't. And, um, and, and so like different net metering, it's, it can be kind of confusing. And so like, say there's a solar installers and they're trying to sell a solar system and the customer might even say, should I be in the CCA or should I stick with the monopoly? And um, what what do you do there? What do you tell people? <clears throat> yeah, the, the the customer, yeah, as you say, goes through an automatic enrollment. They're given um, notices in, in uh, two to four consecutive monthly bill inserts that say inform them of the facts, show them the information, the comparison of the new service to the old service in terms of rate, in terms of renewable energy content. And then an articulation of the other ownership options, or, or so-called equity options, that C many CCAs increasingly are, are offering, and that's where the solar comes in, right? Um, so for a customer who already owns a photovoltaic array, uh, most CCAs are offering them advantageous um, terms, uh, such as cumulative uh, bill credits, um, right that have no sunset and so they tend to try to be a little bit better than the utility for people that already have solar systems so they don't drive them away and they want to support them support solar uh, for customers that want to uh, purchase solar the and the installers that that or developers that are are seeking to to serve them uh, the cca becomes uh, essentially a kind of uh, support infrastructure to bring them together. So part of the mechanism of CCA is to create a, a, a clearer pathway for installers and developers to reach more customers. Because right now that's uh, one of the premises really is of, of the whole policy is to try to go beyond the horizon of market penetration that's occurring under net energy metering and, and other utility tariffs, which, as I said before, were essentially first phase uh, policies to stimulate the market, not final phase policies to like finish the transition to renewables. So the CCAs are really fo forming to go to the next level, right, as far as how many systems are going to get solar, how many consumers are going to buy solar. They're looking to unlock the whole market. And so then instead of trying to just sell as, as installers and developers are selling today to through essentially door-to-door -door knocking, which is just, in a way, if you think about it, outrageous method of, of marketing, you would send people walking door-to-door. -door. I mean, it's pretty desperate. And it reflects a total lack of market penetration that you have to do that. You can't reach the customer. You have to go walking door-to-door -door, like a used, you know, uh, vacuum vacuum cleaner. We better be careful. There might be some listeners here that, <laughs> <laughs> that are in between doors. Of course, right now. everyone has to do that. But it's like you, the, the industry should recognize that it's being forced to desperate measures to reach uh -huh. customers because there's something in the way. To quote uh -huh. Nirvana, there is something in the way. It's called the utility, uh -huh. and and so the CCA is trying to get the utility out of the way and to open the door as because uh -huh. so the CCA specifically. 
under the, these laws is allowed to receive all the um, essentially all the data on energy use. So because the customers are transferring over to the, to the CCA, it can then uh, you know, protect confidentiality of the data, uh, but help to um, make customers eligible to receive offers from solar installers and to receive assistance with some of the marginal costs of solar installations, right, such as financing. Uh, to protect the terms of the solar, to make sure that the customers benefit more, so that there's less cutthroat competition, less, you know, the, a lot of the the uh, energy marketing industry of the past 20 years has been full of fraud. Right? There's a lot of misrepresentation of, of benefits, and uh, that's become a real problem. That deregulated markets don't have enough sort of tracking of the of the accuracy of the promises and the and the um, honesty of the contracts being offered. So to create a safer zone for solar. Um, and so it's really trying to open up the market, you know, times 10 or times 50 for how many people can, are eligible to and, and are essentially prepared and assisted so that they're prepared to sign agreements for solar. So it really uh, is opening up the market um, by creating a safer zone that isn't just this no man's land between the utility and the regulator, which essentially defines the current market. So we're talking here to, with Paul Finn, and he's the inventor of community choice aggregation, called also known as CCA, and the CCAs are taking over the world. Um, give me some stats on that, like how, how many CCAs are in California? You were telling about future projections on CCAs um, in different states, too. Okay. I remember like back in the day, I think the number was 49. There was like 49 CCAs or something like that. Right, yeah, yeah. you have a good memory, Sean. <laughs> Uh, it's grown a lot since 2005, whenever that was. Um, particularly, it's grown in the last 10 years and even more in the last five years. So there's a big growth curve. Um, and so you now have... It's growing like CO2. It's grow Hopefully, it'll catch up and pass <laughs> CO2 at some point. That's the threshold we're looking for. Uh, so you've got, um, you've got 1,500 cities across the U.S., uh, these are primarily in uh, Ohio, Illinois, Massachusetts, uh, California. Those are the biggest growth states so far. New York adopted CCA in 2015 and is rapidly growing. California uh, went from one CCA, you know, five years ago to um, 18 counties serving uh, 10 million Californians. So, and they're projected to um, to go to 85% of all California uh, investor and utility customers by 2021. So that will be, you know, 25 million California, something like that, Californians. Wow. Mm -hmm. New York City is now uh, seriously discussing CCA, the Manhattan, the five boroughs. Uh, and but you've got you know half of Illinois, half of Ohio, um, and so you end up with uh, around my guess today is around 25 million Americans that are under CCA uh, service. Um, so it's not a, a new thing anymore. It's that that makes it approximately you know 10 percent of the United States. Uh, but it was just five years ago. It was 
half of a percent or something. So it's mm-hmm. grown really fast. New York is just getting started. There's Westchester, New York, which is a county on the uh, suburbs of New York City, formed the first CCA in New York. There are 150 CCAs in Massachusetts, which is just over half of the state, including Boston and, and Worcester, which are both now launching CCA programs. So that'll push it way over half. Um, uh, the um, states of oh, uh, New Hampshire just adopted CCA a few months ago. Governor Sununu signed the bill. Uh, Virginia uh, now has CCA, and you've got bills in a number of other states. So it's poised to go to, I would say, a third of the United States in the ne- in the next you know ha- half decade or something. Awesome. Yeah. I was also thinking about like like so. Do you know have a total of how much utilities have spent against CCAs? I don't. Against it? I don't. But mostly because in most states, the utilities have not fought CCA. They were just in the beginning. There was that big fight. Now. There was a big fight, yeah. And and the utilities certainly fight over certain resources. And particularly, they like to control the resources that uh, customers pay on their bill. These are the so-called mm-hmm. surcharges that appear on, on people's bills, like the energy efficiency surcharge funds, public goods charges mm-hmm. that you see, a PGC mm-hmm. charge. Uh, these are funds that the state regulators have mandated that they collect and spend on various public benefits. Mm-hmm. And that has become their like phase two protection racket is, is mm-hmm. control those funds. Because not only do they control the expenditure and which they use to market themselves to make themselves look green. Mm-hmm. Oh, PG&E has spent $100 million this year on energy efficiency and it's on the radio. Mm-hmm. They don't mention that it's your money. Uh-huh. That they're spending number uh-huh. one, and that the benefits of those expenditures not disclosed. Mm-hmm. Lo and behold, under examination of the regulator, if you're involved in those processes, they're wasting that money systematically, wasting that money. So they're announcing with pride how much money they spent, not mentioning that they actually they're burned it. They're forced to do it. Right? They bur- yeah. they're forced to do it, and they burned it. Uh-huh. Uh, and so the benefits are are, are negligible uh-huh. in most cases, uh, but they very uh, they also receive. Um, uh, a return on investment based upon how much of the funding they spent, so-called incentive payments. And um, that can run into hundreds of millions of dollars a year, incentive payments, out of the funds that the utilities shareholders directly receive as incentives to implement energy efficiency. So you have a real protection racket around those funds and they want to protect those funds. And and many of the CCA laws allow communities to apply to the regulator to directly control the funds that their ratepayers are paying so that their ratepayers will benefit from the funds and also to spend them more wisely and get better impacts, more, actual more efficiency gain, not just money spent. And so that's caused a secondary conflict where the utilities are fighting it. But it's hard to, to put a number on that because those activities are essentially fall under the routine uh, lobbying and and uh, lawyering activities of the utility, which are extensive. Like mm-hmm. PG&E has a hundred full-time lawyers and four hundred contract lawyers. A hundred full-time. I wonder how much that costs. Full-time lawyers. Yeah, these are five hundred, six hundred, seven hundred dollar an hour lawyers. Uh huh. We should so do some math on that one. <laughs> it's painful to consider, uh, but it is what you get with this sort of what you so call. So pretty you know, much, we're just paying for lawyers. Communist capitalist. Yeah, that's the, that's what makes it capitalist uh-huh. is that there are lawyers. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's terrible. We should just do what Shakespeare said about that. But um, yeah, first <laughs> kill all the lawyers. So. Um, um, I was thinking also, though, even with CCA, you're not getting rid of the utility. You're not getting rid of PG&E. 
what do they still do? Like, like the, you know, the poles and the lines and all that stuff. Yes. The, the, the core idea was to sort of create the ability to go to this new world of alternative energy in a big way, but without having to have an existential war against the old company. So Mm -hmm. It cuts the baby in half. It says, you utility, you can continue to do delivery, sort of like the phone system uh, where, you know, you have your local service and then you have your long distance service, right? Now that's breaking down now, obviously, Uh Uh, but under the pressure of other new technologies coming on. And hopefully that kind of pressure will come into energy where you just all of a sudden have five different options. but this is just cutting that in half and saying, okay, the utility will still do poles and wires, physical delivery, meter uh, maintenance and reading. Um, send you the bill. And in, yes, in most cases, they still send you the bill for grid power purchased. That being said, uh, under this latest iteration of CCA, what I called 3.0, which was just now kind of happening, 2.0s have been happening in the last 10 years, now 3.0 is happening now. A lot of the CCAs now are looking to uh, go off of the utility bill for a lot of the new activity that they're developing and not depend totally on the utility because many of the utilities have, most of the utilities have have, have strictly prohibited um, any kind of use of the bill beyond a very narrow re- sort of conventional data points. So they don't want to help the CCA be innovative <clears throat> by giving them new data points to show on the bill like showing them how to do on-bill financing or showing them how to do any kind of alternative billing to support renewables or solar. They don't want to help. Hmm. So some CCs are now moving off of the bill onto water and sewer bills. Hmm. Any kind of billing, existing billing platforms that they have with residents and businesses. But also because much of what they're doing is is not just buying from the grid now. They're developing resources in the community and they're doing it for individual customer ownership or for multi, you know, like uh, uh, multi-use, uh, multi-residential building where there's a, a cooperative or a group of neighbors that want to do something with, together. So, uh, microgrids, community microgrids, neighborhood microgrids, which are uh, a definitely an emerging phenomenon now. So they're really financing individually owned facilities now, not some kind of government owned facility, right? Although they'll also develop government owned facilities on government buildings. But, but in the private sector, they want to push this in the private sector specifically because that's 95% of all the energy use. If you want to reduce climate change or help the economy, you have to get it to the private mm-hmm. sector. So this is really a relationship with the customer, not just a power service. Uh, and that's where the water and sewer bill kind of makes sense because it's saying, okay, this is your house, your building, just like your, your water and sewer services. You have energy services. So we'll help you put solar on your roof. We'll help you, you know, and you can pay for it on your water and sewer bill. But have the CCA um, uh, being the one that bills you for energy, so signs you up for a rate, and then because you're paying a rate premium, the way you would buy pay for uh, 100% renewable energy, for example. But instead, now you pay a premium to um, pay for the facility we're putting on your roof. So we'll give you the loan for the roof for the solar, and then the CCA will make payments on the loan based on your monthly bill. And so it sets up an arrangement where equity occurs and the customer can therefore uh, receive equity benefits through the monthly bill and not need to have all this sort of chaos in between of separate bills and, you know, confusion. And so it's all sort of aligned as one service, but on two different bill platforms. Mm -hmm. 
So there's could be a lot of different types of CCAs. I was wondering um, how, like, how often do people opt out of the CCA? Like, they're like it's a choice, right? Oh, like yeah. They can go with the utility. What percentage do you think? Or yeah, the the I've got that. Do we try to track that fairly carefully? It's it's basically ninety percent uh, participation rates. It's is, is the average. Uh, rarely goes below eighty five percent. And the main reason there is that CCAs, because of the opt-out, uh, CCAs, unlike a traditional utility like your utility now um, or a municipal utility, uh, they need to stay competitive. They don't want to drive their customers away. And so they tend to only launch if they can get a competitive deal. And the, so when they launch, unlike a traditional arrangement, like a municipal utility where they just launch based on a projection and then they build all their, their, their systems up and whatever they cost, they charge. So you're captive and you must pay. Under a CCA, you're not captive. So they'll, they'll work a lot in preparation to make sure their launch is cost effective and they have uniformly saved money. So customers have no reason to opt out. They're getting a better deal. And that's, that's the proof in the pudding. Do you ever seen like if a PG&E office went with the CCA or <laughs> PG&E employees or <laughs> I could I'm afraid I don't know I'd love to know but uh, no not yet yeah <laughs> uh, you know we'll see it's San Francisco. I wonder what happens in San Francisco if PG&E opted out of the San Francisco CCA because <laughs> the headquarters are there they might they might get a better deal and they have to be um isn't it like corporations have to be do what's best for the shareholders? <laughs> and if they don't stay with the CCA and get a better deal, they can, um, they can get in trouble. Fire, hey. the, fire the CEOs. Yep, and we, that's right. We're on, we're on a farm right now. Even the dogs are on are opting in. Yeah. <laughs> so, Paul, how about um, there, a lot of the listeners here are people that are in the solar business. How does a CCA help a solar company? It's a, it's a huge opportunity for solar companies. Um, the main answer is reducing marketing costs. Currently, uh, just to give an example, in California, uh, the California Energy Commission has repeatedly, uh, for over many, many years, reported on the, the cost of systems relative to the, the expenditures on, uh, on subsidies, and so they track the cost of systems and, and how the uh, costs break down. Half of the cost of installed systems in California is the marketing cost for the installer. So um, this harms the economics of solar in a very significant way. Now, the cost of PV has come down so much, it's helped immensely. But you still have this, this, this really totally artificial cost, which is half of the cost of the bloody system. So the CCA, and that is a result of going door to door, um, Putting out commercials, all, you know, all, all of the all the methods that solar companies have had to resort to to reach customers, very high cost. The same problem occurred in the, the retail energy markets, right? And under deregulation, and uh, the reason that, that a lot of the companies pulled out and the markets failed was that the cost to market was so high, and that they just couldn't afford to market. And so, in the case of solar, it's just it's just maintained artificially high prices uh, for the end user even in spite of these dramatic declines in the cost of photovoltaic cells and now batteries. So the key really remaining barrier to, to, to bring down the cost of solar to the end user is to remove marketing costs. 
I mean, that's like cutting the price of the panels in half, it just if you do that, right? And uh, the equipment. So, uh, and to create, to regionalize the marketing, right? The, the, the industry's also suffered from an essentially kind of gigantism with a few companies scoop up all the business, and like Tesla and Solar City, scoop up all the business, putting the, all the installers in this kind of supine position of just work with the big boys and on the side and be their kind of vassals, uh, right? And this regionalizes the market so that the smaller companies can play a more important role. Uh, the leverage that the CCA gains, as I mentioned before, is the collection of, of, of all the data. So the data uh, enables them to understand where energy use is occurring in large manner, where to focus development. Um, and the communication platform of, of the monthly bill, whether it's the water and sewer bill, the utility bill, the, month, the tax bill, direct mail for public communication, municipalities regularly communicate with residents and businesses. And so they have that existing platform that the CCA can use at little to no cost for a constant presence to engage customers in solar ownership. So that's unlocking local mar regional markets uh, for a much greater number. It's It's got data attached to it so that you don't have to go to someone's house and get them to sign a data release permission form in order to conduct an audit and determine whether or not the economics are any good. The geocoding of the data allows for the rooftop analysis to occur in advance. And so you just have a lot of the pre-audit costs that, again, part of the marketing costs, which is going to a house, spending money and time and analysis on a customer before you know, number one, whether they're interested at all, number two, whether their roof is adequate to receive it, number three, whether their bill is adequate for a good return on investment. These are all knowable in advance under a CCA before you even go to the house, before you call them or contact them in any way. So highly targeted push campaigning as opposed to this zero targeting, blind wandering around business model uh, is an opportunity to virtually eliminate the marketing cost of solar. Mm -hmm. So drop the price in California in half, which is just think about it. I mean, about what that would do to the market if all of a sudden the cost of solar was cut in half, not by cheaper panels from China, but by a smarter planning process with a, a an actively interested agent, namely the community. Uh, and then the ability of these smaller companies to regionalize and focus on this county or these counties and not just sporadically chasing whoever will sign up for solar. So reduce cost of the company, better, uh, I would say better company building opportunities as far as building up a regional power rather than uh, just being a vassal to a giant financing company, which is pretty much what's going on right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hello, and thank you for listening to Sean White's Solar and Energy Storage Podcast. And you have been listening to part one of Sean White interviewing Paul Finn, the inventor of CCA, Community Choice Aggregation. The next podcast after this one will be part two. You can find out more about Sean White at his links page at solarshawn.com. Thanks for listening. Woo! Thank you.